Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Hi, everyone. This is Daniel Karapkin. Um, I hope you had a meaningful Tisha B'Av yesterday. And uh, we are here to study um, a book called Moren Nevuchim, The Guide for the Perplexed by Maimonides. Uh, we are uh, presenting this to you from the webyeshiva.org platform. Um, and um, we are using the translation of Moren Nevuchim by Professor Shlomo Pines which is considered to be the most authoritative, at least to date, translation of the Guide for the Perplexed. Um, we are now on chapter 73, where the Rambam is now going to try to present to us uh, the uh, philosophical foundation of his theological slash philosophical opponents, a group of scholars known as the Mutakalimun, who are by no means um, uh, uniform in their belief. The Rambam groups them together for convenience sake to be able to present the differences between their view and his own view, which is more based on Aristotelianism, whereas the Kalamists or the Mutakalimun or the Midabrim in Hebrew are uh, basing themselves on a different kind of philosophical structure. No less intellectual, but nonetheless using premises that the Rambam feels are in sometimes counter-intellectual, uh, even though the way that they are presented is in a very orderly, structured format. Now, we've been building up to this chapter because it's not really an easy chapter just to jump into. It's like jumping into a very cold pool, and uh, sometimes it can be a bit of a shock to the system if you haven't sort of created the proper foundation for a chapter like this, where the Rambam is going to present to us concepts that are part of a medieval world that we really don't relate to as far as the belief in science of its day. Both models, the model that the Rambam presents in his, in his Aristotelian uh, <clears throat> system of how the world works, and the system, the scientific system of the Mutakalimun, which uh, is what we'll call atomism in just a moment, both systems are not scientifically accurate based upon the way we understand science in the modern world after the advent of uh, Sir Isaac Newton and a whole bunch of other physicists who really laid out the universe in a completely different format from the way the Rambam presents it, presents it to us. But nonetheless, there is benefit in trying to at least understand the Rambam's orientation and his method of argumentation against his opponents. And the, 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 that's the reason why we're studying the Moren Nebuchim, not because we necessarily subscribe to the Rambam's um, outdated um, Aristotelian model of science, but rather because we appreciate what he is trying to do. He is trying to put forward a very uh, scientific way of looking at the world 
that he believes is completely in sync with the Torah and is completely in sync with our belief in God and all the things that Jewish tradition teaches us. And it's really on that basis that the Rambam formulates so many things that have become um, basic tenets of our faith from a Maimonidean point of view, such as the Rambam's 13 principles of faith. So we should take this chapter seriously, even though the, the concepts that are contained therein, we acknowledge are outdated and no longer part of what we would consider actual science. Um, what I wanted to do, and, and, and also remember, the Rambam's objection to the Mutakalimun is not so much that they are, um, that they are sim simple in their perspective, that they're overly fundamental in their perspective, it's a, it's a challenge of methodology that the Rambam feels that the Mutakalimun are apologists, that they place the cart before the horse. And, and, and what I mean by that is that they place their, their faith in front of science. And if they perceive that their faith, based whether it's on the, the, the Bible or whether it's based on the Quran, if they perceive that their faith makes certain claims about scientific fact that are in contradiction to what science tells us, then their process of reconciliation is to keep what the faith tells us as fundamentally true and to modify science. And the Rambam says that is not the way of a rational thinker. A person has to actually take what is accepted science, what is proven science, and if he finds something in his faith that is that contradicts what is proven science, he has to actually look more carefully at the texts, at his religious texts, and see if there's a way to reread those religious texts to make them fit into what is accepted science. And that's the um, and that's the sort of the whole methodology of the Rambam's opposition and his disputation with these mutakalimun. And that's the value of looking at a chapter like this. So what I wanted to do is bring up a screen that will have some information for you. You can always find these handouts by going to, um, by signing up for this course on webyeshiva.org. And you can also go to a Facebook group called Shi'ur in Morenevuchim. Um, you can always join that, uh, that group. There's no charge. It's perfectly free. And you can find all of these handouts there as well. I have here a list of the Rambam's 12 premises. We're going to try to cover, we'll try to get through a hopefully half of them today. We may not succeed, but I wanted to bring you as an introduction, an interesting point that I noted in the translator's introduction to the Shlomo Pines edition of Moreh Nebuchim. Um, And this is a very brief paragraph, but I think it has a lot of important information. It should also be noted that Maimonides' premises of the Mutakalimun as well as his premises of the philosophers, this, this is what the Rambam is setting out to do in chapter 73. He's saying, let me tell you the premises which the Mutakalimun uh, are basing their science on, and, and I'll show you why they're wrong. I'll show you why they're not correct. He says these premises um, uh, are, uh, are mainly or indeed exclusively concerned with physical science, if, in accordance with the medieval classification, the concept of the science is ex extended so as to include the psychology of perception. And what he basically means is, is that the Mutakalimun uh, disagree fundamentally with the Rambam 
as to whether our sensory perception can give us an accurate uh, representation of reality. The Rambam, and this is really gets into the philosophy of epistemology, which is what he calls the psychology of perception. Do we perceive things as they truly are or not? The Rambam feels that we at least can get somewhat of, a, of an accurate perception of reality. The Mutakalimun say that we cannot. But whereas the propositions of the philosophers expound and account for the order and the causality of the cosmos, and the idea of causality means that A gives rise to B, which gives rise to C, and there is a sense of sequence and order within the universe, the principles of the Mutakalimun, such as their atomism, the assumption that everything that can be imagined can happen and so on, and we're going to unpack these, these uh, premises, are meant to prove that no causality and no permanent order exist in the world. All events are determined directly without the intervention of intermediate causes by the will of God, which is not bound by any law. And as we'll see, this is what the Rambam takes great umbrage with. And it, it is this uh, assertion of the of these opponents called that he calls the Mutakalimun in general, although they are broken down between the Mutazilites and the Asherites, two different sects. But the point is, is that what they share in common is that there is no such thing as nature. Everything is constantly being created and recreated. And as such, God decides at any given instant, at any, any given moment, what the universe should be like and what its rules and, and principles are. And as such, anything can change at any time. Um, and the Rambam feels that that's not the way that the universe is structured at all. God gave us a universe that has order, that has sequence, that has causality, and he wants us to live that, that way uh, so that we can see a sense of structure and make order out of chaos. And for the Mutakalimun, it's almost precisely the opposite. They wish to say that, no, the world is truly chaotic um, and does not have any sense of order to it because God is constantly creating the universe um, uh, every single second, every single moment. The universe is being recreated, and what occurred a, a second ago is not at all reflective of what is going to happen now or in the one moment from now. In other words, there is no cosmos and there is no nature. These two Greek notions being replaced by the concept of categories of atoms with atomic accidents inherent in them being created in every instant by arbitrary acts of divine volition. Okay, so this is the uh, the paragraph that I wanted to uh, to bring you out in in uh, from Professor Pines, which sort of is in in a nutshell the Rambam's um, uh, main point of argumentation with the Mutakalimun. So with that in mind, let's just read. Um, uh, let's just go through some of the some of the premises. He's, and the Rambam starts off chapter 73 as follows. He says, the common premises laid down by the Mutakalimun, in spite of the diversity of their opinions and the multiplicity of their methods, that are necessary with a view to establishing what they wish to establish with regard to the four problems in question, are 12 in number. If you recall, the Rambam had discussed four problems or four sort of issues which was, you know, uh, the source of all of creation, meaning, you know, the Mutakalimun work with an assumption 
how did the world come into existence? So that's the idea of creation. They talked about the existence uh, of God, um, and that was the that's the that's the second point that the Rambam felt was uh, was an issue of um, uh, of uh, uh, that needed to be proven uh, the oneness of this deity and the refutation of the doctrine of corporeality. Those are the four problems that he says that the Mutakalimun undertake. And we have seen already in previous weeks how the Rambam took issue with the whole idea of making creation as a prerequisite for a belief in the other three points that are uniquely having to do with God. That is the existence of God, his oneness, and his incorporeality. So, um, but basically, he says, the Mutakalimun are working with 12 premises, even though there's diversity of opinion among them, this is the tzad hashaveh, this is the common thing that they all share in common. I shall mention, mention them to you, and afterwards I shall explain to you the meaning of each of these premises and what necessarily follows from it. So in the handout, you have sort of a, um, a, uh, a very, very short way of expressing this list. And number one is, atoms exist and they make up everything. And this is the theory of atomism. Now, as I, as I mentioned at the outset, neither the Rambam's uh, structure, the Rambam's model of the universe, nor the Mutakalimun's model of the universe uh, is in accord with modern science. However, if we were to ask the question, which one is closer to modern science, we would have to say the Mutakalimun's model is closer to modern science because they acknowledge the belief that everything that exists in our universe is comprised of tiny little packets of something, okay? And that term is atoms, which is small particles, okay? We believe in the atomic theory today as well, but the structure of the atom and what it's made of and things like that are very different from the way the Mutakalimun envisioned it. But at least, and they're basing themselves on ancient Greek philosophy that disagreed with Aristotle, um, but the point is, is that they seem to have taken a side which has been more scientifically proven than Aristotelian science. Be that as it may, the belief of the Kalamists is that everything that exists is made up of tiny particles, and these tiny particles aggregate, they come together to form larger substances, and everything that we view on the, um, uh, 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 in the real world is really just an aggregate of, of billions and trillions and an innumerable number of atoms. And that's the first theory. The individual particle does not possess quantity in any respect. Every single atom is unitary. Okay, and the second, I'm just reading a few of the highlights of the text that the Rambam is presenting to us. All these particles are alike and similar to one another, there being no difference between them in any respect whatsoever. And that the, the atomic theory of the Mutakalimun is very different from our atomic theory, where every atom has a different set of, uh, of protons and electrons. But the atomic theory of the Mutakalimun is that every atom is exactly the same. It's one basic substance known as an atom, and there's no difference between them. We're going to speak momentarily about what makes different substances differ from each other, why some, some things are white, why some things are red, why some things are soft and some things are hard, why some things are alive and some things are inanimate. We'll talk about that momentarily, how that happens. It's something called accidents or mikrim in Hebrew. 
Okay, um, another thing he says, they also say that these particles are not restricted in their existence as was believed by Epicurus and others who affirmed the existence of such particles. In other words, there is a belief among the Mutakalimun that is consistent with ancient Greek philosophy, the existence of these atoms. But one important difference is that Epicurus and those of his ilk in the, in the ancient Greek world believe that these atoms must exist necessarily, that they are part of natural science that gives rise to atoms. The Mutakalimun believed, based on their faith-based reality, that atoms are created by God at every given instant and that they don't necessarily have to exist by any particular law of physics. And that also plays into this idea that Pines sort of introduced us to, is that the, the view of the Mutakalimun is that God creates a new reality at every moment that is only conveniently consistent with what we're used to, but is not necessarily so. There's nothing that compels God to create the way, th th this moment to be exactly like the moment that came before it. For, for they say that God, may he be exalted, creates these substances constantly whenever he wishes and that their annihilation is likewise possible. So that's premise number one. Premise number two is that vacuums exist and are the stuff between atoms. In other words, there is not a contiguous universe that is completely unitary in its, in its construction as the Rambam had set forth for us in the last chapter, where he said that the uh, universe is homogeneous in the sense that it is all one unit because it emanates from a unitary God. But rather the Mutakalimun believed that the universe is comprised of these very, very tiny packets of matter or of reality. And the only way that they can continue existing in the way that they do and aggregate and come apart and come back together again is if there's space between these atoms, which he calls a vacuum. And that's necessarily so because otherwise, if all the atoms were, were attached to each other and there was no space between them, there could be no fluidity of movement, there could be no change, there would be no opportunity for things to move and to morph into other things. So that's premise number two. Premise number three, and this is a very important premise, as we'll see when we go through this idea, is that time is atomic just as much as space is atomic. And every moment is therefore now. There's no such thing as a past, present, and future. Everything is constantly being recreated. The, the universe, and we've touched on this before to get into this whole idea of why the Mutakalimun believe what they do believe, but they essentially suggest that there is no continuation between the past and the present. Everything is constantly now because God is constantly recreating reality. Um, and we're going to get back to this when we get to premise number six. Um, uh, they undoubtedly had seen Aristotle's demonstrations by means of which he has demonstrated that distance, time, and locomotion are all three of them equal as far as existence is concerned. And therefore he says that that which gives rise to the Mutakalimun's assertion is that once you assert that space is comprised of atoms, you must also concede that time, which is really a, a, a um, 
very directly related to space almost sounds like uh um uh, uh um it, it almost sounds like einsteinian science right where there's a constant connection between time and space that space and time are interrelated you can't have real time without space you can't have space without time well that's true in the ancient world as well as well aristotle had made that assertion as well but based on that if space is made up of atoms then time must be based on atoms and therefore every the time is based on packets of reality and so what happened a moment an instant ago is not the same reality as now everything is broken down into the tiniest of segments which cause time to be uh, um, atomic as well later on he points out it follows that no movement can be more rapid than another movement and that everything that is true about um, atoms uh, is that atoms are absolutely uniform so therefore there's no such thing as a larger atom or a smaller atom this is all part of the idea of this third premise that not only is space atomic but time is atomic as well everything moves at the same speed because motion is dictated by time so if every moment is uh, uh, the same equal uh, uh, split uh, instant uh, this atomic moment of time then therefore motion also is constant everything is moving at the same velocity at the same speed so how do you reconcile therefore why some things move faster than others and the answer that the mutakalimun give is something that the rambam finds very distasteful and basically their answer is is that whenever you see something moving slower than another item it's not because they're uh, moving at different velocities or speeds but rather it's because every uh, you look at reality as a sort of like uh, separate celluloid frames uh, in an emotion picture. And so it, it, if a person were to, let's say, shoot an arrow, and the arrow was going to travel from point A to point B, and one arrow goes at uh, 50 miles per hour, and another arrow flies at 90 miles per hour, so why is it if everything is uniform in its in its in its motion and the the answer that the mutakalimun give is that the frames if you were to break everything down to its packet of time the frame of the um of the slower arrow is moving slower because only uh every other frame has the arrow in motion whereas it is interrupted each time by a frame of where the arrow is not in motion. Whereas the 90 mile per hour arrow is traveling faster because every frame or almost every frame of the packet of time has that arrow in motion. So it's a question of not that they're moving at different speeds, but which one is impeded in its motion more than the other. And the Rambam basically says this, this argument can be broken down ad absurdium. He says, for example, let's say you have a millstone, uh, which is a piece of solid rock, which is in the shape of a flat circle and is moving and constantly in motion. We know based on the laws of physics that the outer part of that stone is moving at a greater speed than the inner part of the stone. So what are you going to suggest? That this is not a solid contiguous mass 
because you have to resign yourself to that because the outer part is moving at a different speed from the inner part of the stone. So it's made up of different atoms and the atoms on the, on the outer periphery, which are moving faster, are not impeded in their motion in the same way that the atoms of the inner part of the stone. And he says, that's essentially what the Mutakalimun have to assert, even though our senses clearly demonstrate that this is one solid mass, that even if you were to take a hammer to try and break it, you couldn't because it's, it's so solidly compacted together as one unit, as one item. And yet, essentially, says the Rambam, this is what the Mutakalimun believe, and that's one of the reasons why their arguments are unacceptable. Another point that he makes that I have to confess I haven't really carefully studied and don't very much fully understand is that the Rambam says that based on this principle that everything uh, is made out of atoms, both space and time, and everything that we can conceive of is atomic in its structure, all of geometry, all of Euclidean geometry flies out the window because we believe that a hypotenuse or the diagonal of a square uh, is longer than the the sides of the of the of the that are at a right angle, right? That's you know that's the Pythagorean theorem that the hypotenuse is always longer than the than each of the two sides. Uh, but the Rambam says that if everything is made up of atoms and everything is one dimensional, then the geometric theories that we've been working with no longer make any sense. I don't fully understand the proofs, but in doing a little bit of research. I note that the Mutakalimun had already were already aware of this line of argumentation against Euclidean geometry and had satisfactory refutations of that argument that it was based on false premises. But point be that as it may, that's also the Rambam says what will result from this kind of view of the universe. And then finally, the Rambam says, and this is fascinating because it certainly has applications to modern science. And that is the Mutakalimun's theory, their atomic theory, does not align itself with modern technology, not just modern science, but modern technology. In other words, he writes at the end, he says, no moreover that Banu Shakir have composed a, a group of, of, of uh, engineers, I suppose, of his time, the famous Book of Ingenious Devices, which includes 100 odd ingenious devices all of them demonstrated and carried into effect. These, these inventions have been created. They are, they are created to, uh, as, as technological devices to help facilitate our lives. But if vacuums existed, not one of them would have been valid and many of the contrivances to make water flow would not have existed. Using Mutakalimun, the definition of physics using an atomic theory, these contraptions would not work or cannot work using the way that the Mutakalimun define physics. And, and I know that um, you know, we can look at the Rambam's line of argumentation and say, well, in re the fact of the matter is, we have different theories about how the universe works today. We have uh, Newtonian physics. We have theories of relativity from Einstein. And Einstein's theories could only be accepted by the scientific community if there were proofs that were demonstrated based on scientific observations uh, of the cosmos. In other words, you could only uh, accept uh, Einstein as being factual and as being work as a workable theory if it could help put a man on the moon. And the same thing is true with quantum physics and all of the other scientific discoveries. 
even though we acknowledge that there's so much that we still don't understand about reality, this idea of dark matter and string theory and all of these other things that we really don't fully understand, we don't know if our um, models that we've created to explain certain phenomena are, are true or not. But the fact is, is that we've built theories based upon our perception of how physics works in the real world based on the way that the, that actual bodies move and based on modern technology. And the Rambam basically says the modern technological devices that we have today would not work using the models that have been put forth by the Mutakalimun. So that's the, th the end of the third uh, premise. The fourth premise is that every substance must possess accidents. And what the Rambam means, the word accident is really what we would call an attribute. It's another way of describing it. Because atoms, according to this idea, do not have any intrinsic properties, anything that makes them unique and different from each other is because they are endowed with what the Rambam calls mikrim or accidents. And that is to say that God, when he creates an atom, also assigns to that atom different attributes, let's say like color and, and uh, uh, it, whether it's soft or hard, whether it's hot or cold, whether it's alive or dead, and, and so many other different attributes. And, and as a result, um, that's why you have different substances in the universe, because each atom is given, is created with a different attribute. Now, the Rambam says, I don't have a problem with that per se, but the problem that I do have with this fourth premise is that not only is aliveness an attribute, and that certain atoms are what we would call in the modern world organic, and therefore capable of producing life. But he says, but the problem that I have is that they call deafness an attribute as well. When something does not, an atom is not alive, it has the, the positive attribute of being dead. And the Rambam says that I disagree with that fundamentally. I believe based on Aristotelianism that something is endowed with life, but something which is not endowed with life is not endowed with an attribute of death, but rather is does not have the positive attribution or the positive accident of life. And that's another point of differentiation, is that the Mutakalimun believe that everything is assigned to every single atom directly by God, so that such that death is also an attribution or an accident. And the Rambam feels, no, that there are certain um, things that exist by virtue of privation. Darkness, for example, is not an attribute, it's rather the absence of light. Death is not an attribute, but rather the, the absence of life. And, um, and that's another point of contention that is brought up in the fourth premise. The fifth premise is that these accidents reside in each and every atom. That's number five. And the Rambam has a problem with that as well, because he says, look, when you look at, let's say, a red garment, you would normally think that uh, the redness of that garment is, uh, is attributable to the totality of the garment. But the Mutakalimun say no, that there's no such thing as a uh, as an as a sweeping or all-encompassing attribute of a garment. Everything that is attributable to the redness and the softness of the garment is on is purely on the atomic level, which actually sounds more accurate from a scientific modern scientific point of view. Is that the atomic structure or the atomic attributes or the atomic accidents? are what make up the red garment, 
and nothing that there's no such thing as redness that infuses the in, the totality of the garment. This is another big uh, difference of viewing the universe between the Rambam and the Mutakalimun. The this brings up the question for the Rambam: Well, what does this say about the makeup of a living human being or a living any living creature? Where does its force of life, where does its soul come from? If if uh, everything only exists on the atomic level and there's no such thing as something being in, in, imbued within the totality of that, of that item or that being, where does life start and where does where is life contained? And here he says that there's a basic disagreement between the among the Mutakalimun themselves. He says some of them subscribe to the idea that only one atom of the entire aggregate that makes up that being contains a soul. Others believe that the soul is distributed among multiple atoms within the being, and this is something that the Rambam feels is not something that uh, even that there's consensus even among the Mutakalimun. And finally, he says, both affirmations entail abhorrent conclusions. Whether you look at it, whether you look at the soul, and another issue that's related to the soul is where does knowledge come from? Where is knowledge stored? Where is the intellect within the, uh, uh, a, a human being? Is it contained within one atom? Is it contained within multiple atoms? Again, we're not, the, the Rambam doesn't have this concept of, uh, you know, a cortex within a brain, but knowledge is something that is ethereal, that is non-physical. So where is it contained within this being that is comprised of trillions of atoms? And then it has been objected against them that we find that most minerals and stones have a very intense color, but when they are pulverized, this color disappears. One of the proofs against the Mutakalimun is that there are sometimes when you have something, let's say a very green uh, mineral, like an emerald, and uh, it's green only when it's completely intact. When you pulverize it into dust, that greenness tends to disappear. It's not as green as it used to be. Does that not prove that the quality of greenness, this accident of greenness, does not exist on the atomic level, but rather is only in the totality of the item. So he says that uh, that this is one of the arguments against the Mutakalimun, and it is even more manifest that parts cut off from a living being are not alive, which is proof that this that this total this uh, entirety of a of a human being or an animal that is alive is constituted by the whole and not by each of the parts included in that whole. In answer to this, they say that the accident in question does not continue to exist in the severed limb, but is always created anew, as I shall explain on the basis of their opinion as formulated in the next premise, which is the sixth premise. And that has to do with what is the Rambam finds extremely objectionable, which is the idea that redness or greenness or aliveness or deafness and every other um, conceivable attribute is constantly being reassigned to every single atom because God's, God is constantly recreating reality. So it's not like the garment that was red a moment ago is the same red garment that I'm holding now, but rather it can, God decided to recreate the red garment that, that existed a moment ago and make it exactly the same red garment that it was, but he didn't have to and he didn't have to make it red. So therefore, when I pulverize an, an emerald into powder, the reason why it's not green anymore is not because its greenness did not exist on the atomic level, 
but rather because God simply decided to no longer assign greenness to atoms that had been broken apart from each other. But in reality, that greenness really did exist originally in, uh, in, on the atomic level and not in the substance uh, or not in the, the, uh, the emerald as a whole. Well, we've already gone over time because uh, we try to limit our discussion to 30 minute segments. There's so much more to, to discuss. We haven't even started the sixth premise yet, but I think this is a good start. I think we'll hold it here for today. Instead of rushing through this, we'll, we'll keep section six for next time because I do have a lot to say about it. We still, I still want us to look at the Rambam's uh, introduction to Pirkei Avot, which is known as Shemona Prakim, where he discusses this idea as well in the eighth uh, chapter of the eight chap introductory chapters to Pirkei Avot. And we're going to see how the Rambam um, uses this difference between himself and the Mutakalimun to explain the issue of free will, which is a very important concept for the Rambam. So this is a good way for us to hold it here. And I think that uh, um, this is a good, I've sort of given you a forspice of what we're going to be examining next time. I look forward to continuing this discussion soon. So we'll stop now. We'll stop now. And, uh, let me wish you all a great day. Take care. Thank you, Rabbi.